you'd open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, third book in the New Testament. You might want to put a marker there, we're going to be studying this for a while here. We're going to start chapter 1, that's a good place to start, with verse 1, and we'll be looking at the first four verses and talking a considerable amount this morning about the background to this Gospel and the challenge it provides for us. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. When I was 20 years old, I uh, was encouraged, I guess you could say invited, um, to open the Bible and study the life of Jesus Christ. I did not know Jesus personally. I grew up in a church, kind of heard in general some things, um, but really didn't know much about his life or, or why he came or anything like that. And so as I read in the Gospels, I guess the only way to describe it is Jesus became alive to me. There were, I, was, I was in awe of who he was, what he said, why he came. All those things just really became alive off the pages of Scripture. And it caused many changes in me, but the most significant one is I surrendered my life to Jesus because this one who said the things he did and did the things he did and then put an explanation point on it by rising from the dead, that's a Jesus, that's a Savior. That was the one who's qualified to save me, the only one. I wanted him in my life. And so I gave my life to him. The Gospels have a special place in my heart because of that. My mind goes back often to those moments. My mind also goes back to Daytona Beach, Florida, my wife and I went down there for a conference many years ago, and we had kind of our uh, motel was kind of almost like a little apartment, had a little kitchen table. And I don't know why in those moments I was in the Gospels, and I think it was Luke, and all the only way I could describe it is I just had like a fresh pair of glasses on, and I looked with wonder, and something changed in that moment about the way I was looking at Scripture. And I think, potentially, uh, it, it was a moment in my life where I'd kind of moved from the looking at Scripture and the knowledge, theoretical sense, and beginning once again to look at it the way I did when I first looked at it. Maybe you could say your first love. But it's really my prayer that we would look at the Gospel of Luke anew. We'll break that down here a little bit more, but in our Bibles, we have four book-length accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, also called the Christ, the Messiah. These four accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're named for their authors, and the church has historically called these Gospels, which is a word derived for good news. These books are complementary portraits of who Jesus is. That's why Christians call them the fourfold gospel. One gospel, 
four accounts. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. Let's get a quick overview. The author is Luke. We know from testimony within Scripture and history, there's unanimous agreement of the early church as Luke is the author. He doesn't mention his name. He's also mentioned in Acts and Colossians as a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Paul refers to him as a beloved physician. He was a missionary with Paul. And he emerged as a historian, but not just any historian. He was viewed through the lens of time as one of the greatest historians that's ever lived. Matter of fact, Sir William Ramsey, one of the greatest archaeologists have ever lived, stated concerning Luke's ability as a historian after 30 years of study, he said, Luke is a historian of first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed among the great, very greatest of historians. Luke penned 28% of the New Testament. And God used this man to communicate the revelation of his son in coming to this earth. And he also wrote the book of Acts where we read about the birth of the church. When did Luke write this gospel? Well, there's some disagreement. It's usually the dates that the scholars throw around are between 60 and 85 AD. The early dating seems to me to have the most compelling support and evidence. Example, Luke's written before Acts, and Acts seems to have a very abrupt ending. And Luke does not mention some very significant things. He doesn't mention Luke's or Paul's release and subsequent travels because the apostle was in prison when he wrote Acts. Further, there's no mention of Luke's writings later than AD, AD, AD 61. Or I should say, no mention in Luke's writings of any event later than AD 61, including significant men, events you think he would have mentioned. Example, the death of James, Jesus' brother, and the head of the Jerusalem church. The destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, which is about AD 70. Nero's persecution, which Peter and Paul were martyred about mid-60s. He never mentions those. It's pretty strong to me suggestion that Luke was written A.D. 60-61. That's not long after Christ lived. Matter of fact, that's well within a generation. And so he got firsthand eyewitness as an author. Luke was believed to have been a Gentile, but there's also probably equal amount who believe he was a Hellenistic Jew. And what does that mean? Other than he was somebody who scattered among the Gentiles who spoke the Greek language. And uh, so either way, you'll see an emphasis as we go through Luke. Not just among Gentiles, but among those who were considered on the outskirts of society. Jesus has a heart for the broken, the lost, and it's going to jump off the pages throughout Luke. It's just, he loves people right where they're at. He doesn't ask people to clean up first. He just loves people right where he's at, and he meets them there. We're going to see some amazing encounters. Gospel Luke, it's some of its themes, some interesting facts about Luke. It's the only gospel account specifically addressed to an individual, in this case, Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. It really signifies some importance in his position. He's probably a wealthy Roman official or wealthy citizen of Antioch. 
Some say who is new to the faith. We know from the text I just read, verse 4, that you have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So he was familiar to a degree with some things about Jesus. Luke also records the first hints of Christian hymnology. You might, Ave Marie, the great hymn, as was taken out of Luke. Also, we're going to look at the, later in Luke 1, Mary's song which hymns were based on. There's more pictures been painted by artists who've derived their inspiration from the Gospel of Luke than any other New Testament book. Between the chapters of 9 and 19, there are 30 sayings, parables, and incidents found only in Luke. And it's not the first Gospel account. That's Mark, which many believe Luke got a lot of his first-hand witness account because many believe Peter... <laughs> shared with Mark a lot of these things. And we know Peter later in 1 Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of these things. And so Luke, as a historian, searched many different things. I'm sure he talked to Mark. I'm sure he talked to Peter. Many believe, and we'll talk maybe a little about that, actually he talked to Mary, which is why we have such detailed nativity accounts, which is an intriguing thought. And so he sought out eyewitnesses. And he gave an orderly account according to verses 1 through 4. He said, it seemed, verse 3, it seemed good to me also having followed all these things closely. In other words, I looked really closely to give you an orderly account. If you'd like to know all the facts, Luke's for you. You're going to find a lot of details in Luke. Amazing things. You're going to find details on locations, medical terms, nautical facts. Details not mentioning the other Gospels, which add a lot to the moments and helps us see them anew. When Luke uses the word orderly, he does not really referring to a chronological sequence of what happened, but to a coherent sequential arrangement of the material so that the readers, like us, have a clear impression of the life of Jesus Christ. The order is meant to be persuasive, but make no mistake, the details add incredible credibility the ways Luke writes shows his excellence and his care for God's truth. He applied excellence in his research for he's undertaken to compile, he said. It's interesting, we get our English word autopsy from the Greek word witnesses. It means seeing with one's own eyes. And that's kind of what Luke's saying. He's seeing these things with his own eyes as he talks to witnesses who saw them with his own eyes. So he's able to give an orderly account, a very accurate, factual, reliable account because of those eyewitnesses. He showed excellence in interpretation of the facts. To ensure accuracy, Luke investigated everything. He communicated it in an orderly way because Christ deserved the best. And so Luke gave his best as he gave an orderly account. The flow of Luke... To give you quite kind of a, a quick overview, we have in chapter 1, going to the end of chapter 2, the infancy accounts, uh, the events that surrounded Christ coming to earth in his infancy. And this is far more detailed than any of the other Gospels. We have John's call to prepare, John the Baptist, chapter 3 through part of chapter 4. And we have part of chapter 4 to the, pretty much the end of chapter 9, his Galilean ministry. And then from 9, chapter 9, verse 51 to chapter 19, 44, we have this Jerusalem journey where his journey leads him to Jerusalem. And when we time we get to the end of cha chapter 19, 
Through the end of the book, we have his last days in Jerusalem, the trials, his death, and his resurrection. But one of the amazing things about Luke, which I love, is the intimate atmosphere surrounding the book. There's times that you and I are going to read this as we go through it. We find him in homes. We feel like we've walked in the door with him. There's times he's sitting at a kitchen table that we're going to find like we're able to pull up a chair and listen and observe. There's times that we read this book, we're going to find him walking with some men and just having a conversation. We feel like, in a sense, we get to walk along with them and eavesdrop on their conversation. There's a very intimate atmosphere to this book. William Barclay said, Luke knows no limits to the love of God. It's true. And it's an intimate love. And the whole key to the context for Luke, it's not enough to receive the tradition about Jesus. He wants to set it in a historical framework to convey the truth, as Scripture does, and to transmit this truth from one generation to another. He wants to show Christ from beginning to end. He wants to show the full story of Scripture and how it reveals from beginning to end Jesus Christ. The story of redemption. Luke affirms the Christian faith is rooted in biblical reliability. Historical reliability, not imagined speculations. But it's more than just historical and biographical. It's a theological history that if we miss it, we miss the thrust of Luke. In a completely truthful way, the triune God through Luke other gospels, writers as well, interprets for us the significance of Jesus' person and work so we may know him who is eternal life. There's three questions Luke answers. Clearly, there are three questions I kind of had in college that the gospels answered very clearly. Who is Jesus Christ? I mean, anyone comes to Luke and wonders, you're going to come to the end of Luke and know. Another question Luke answers, what kind of salvation did he bring? In the context of Luke, they were expecting the religious establishment, a Messianic conqueror riding in on a, on a large horse, taking names. It's not what they got. It wasn't the Messiah. What kind of salvation did he bring? And how did he secure salvation? How can we know that we're truly saved? Luke's going to answer the questions for us. And these three questions are really clearly answered in Luke, but they're very significant because every human being needs to answer them. Luke was written to hold up Jesus as Lord who came to seek and save the lost. And I think if there's one mantra you could put over Luke, it would be that. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It was his mission. It was actually the mission he's given us, to be very concerned for the lost and to seek them out as well. We see in the teaching and life of Christ a reality that helps make sense out of our experience and fills our deepest longing. The work Jesus came to do was deeply personal. And the divine Son did not become incarnate, live, die, and rise from the dead as a mere assignment. No. He had on his mind his Father's glory. He had on his mind you and me. 
in a relationship with him. He came to save. And there are a couple, strikes me as some theological truths that kind of run throughout this gospel that we can kind of hang our hat on. One is God is sovereign over and in history. Luke views God's sovereign plan of redemption which unfolded through the life and work of Christ not as something that began in Luke, but actually began through the corridors of time and eternity past. God's sovereign over and in history, but also Luke tells us a theological truth that um, the universal scope of redemption, that salvation's available to everyone, not just the Jewish people. Luke shouts the truth, salvation's available to the Gentiles. Salvation's available to all ethnic groups and all categories within those ethnic groups. Lepers, demon-possessed, prostitutes, even the IRS, <laughs> tax collectors. Just good news. That's why it's such good news. Luke shows the tenderness and compassion and humanity of Christ like no other gospel. He was indeed the Son of Man. That's why the cross is the focus and the heart of more than half of the gospel. It would strike me that in our daily routine of private devotions and in our daily ritual of worship, the incredible moments of our Savior's life often lose much of their luster and they become ho-hum to us. And when that happens, these moments we'll see in Luke cease to become sacred ground. There's a danger there. Because wonder is a prerequisite to worship. And when we lose our sense of wonder, we lose that which brings us to our knees. Our Lord's life was filled with moments that took people's breath away by what he did and what he said. Many times we'll read people say, who is this who does this? Who is this who speaks such words? People were filled with wonder. How about you? This morning as you look at Luke or look at the scriptures, have they become ho-hum? Been there, done that? Been a Christian for 60, 50, 60 years. I'm familiar with the content of Luke. Is that you? It's not the question if you're familiar with the content, but do you see it with wonder? That's the question. That's the challenge. My deep desire is that our study will cultivate or maybe in your case, restore some of the wonder that's been lost over the years so you and I can see Jesus in his splendor. Personal actions to undertake. I felt it was important that you and I thought, why should we study Luke? What are some reasons? One, to be fed. That we would feed our souls a steady diet of truth, specifically truth about who Jesus Christ is. And to see Jesus. That you and I would love him more each week than when we walked in the door by what we've seen. That you and I would focus on precise moments in his life when his glory was revealed. Because when those who saw it, they were never the same. Might that be us through our study? Another reason that we would see the truth about Jesus and his life over and above the lives that are being thrown at us about him. That you and I could get the right definition of greatness. 
and get the right picture of what greatness is in a culture is quick to lift and elevate people for the most foolish reasons. To be drawn into action, that you and I would make the same decision the earlier followers of Jesus did, and that was to follow Jesus on his terms, not our culture's. That's the reason that we want to study Luke. And then simply to gain a perspective and growing antagonism towards biblical Christianity. Christianity is about Christ. It's about Jesus Christ, our living hope. That's what Christianity is. Action to take. Here's our challenge. Each of us, young and old here, as we go through Luke. First of all, in order for us to go through it, you should be here good start. So way to go. You're already applying it. We haven't even begun. One, prayerfully invite God to speak. And I even want to break that down more. In these moments, as we go through Luke, I guess there's four things I really hope of myself, and I hope for each of us, that we'd learn to love like Jesus did. We learn to see, really see Jesus. Our hearts would learn to hear, hear him. And we learn to feel, feel what Jesus maybe felt. And that's a deeply spiritual work that we really need the Holy Spirit to do. And so I invite each of us to prayerfully invite God to speak. Number two, carefully. Carefully set aside time to read and search. It's true, you could come Sunday morning and take a quick glimpse. And there'd be some benefit. But if you want to learn to love, to see, to hear, to feel, get in the Word during the week. Get in Luke. I can't think how great it would be to know that as a church, every single one of us, throughout the week, are sitting at his feet, listening, learning, feeling, and loving. I invite you to do that. Carefully, set aside time. It doesn't have to be a lot, but to read from Luke. Your next steps will invite you in a direction to do that. Inexpectantly, trust God has spoken and he wants to speak into your heart. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you be attentive? Will you and I really listen? Will we have ears to hear what Jesus wants to say to us? Because the outcome of all of our study each and every week and the culmination of it is that you and I would worship a truly incredible Savior. And in our study, he would restore some of the wonder that's been lost over the years so Jesus can be seen in all his splendor. May God bring that about. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, take us in our study to your feet. To all that matters. Cultivate in each of us a heart that sees, that hears, 
that feels, that loves. So in wonder, we may worship you, a truly incredible Savior. Amen.